With the help of our God, Adam and I moved here to a core city neighborhood of Grand Rapids on a hot 4th of July weekend back in 20, excuse me, 2004 with the plan to plant a new church. We moved into a temporary rental and it took us less than 24 hours to discover that the previous tenants who had been in that rental had been, uh, had been ev- who had been evicted just a few days before we moved in had been drug dealers. And we learned this because we were having windows and doors knocked on in the middle of the night of customers who hadn't yet received the information that the previous dealers were no longer in residence. And thus began our initiation into urban church planting. I will never forget that first morning when we woke up in our new place. We didn't have a lot of stuff. It didn't take us that long to unpack. And we looked at each other and we said, well, let's go plant a church. And that was how it all began. We began with a core team of about 10 people. It was about eight people plus Adam and myself. You can see a picture of one of our first, uh, one of our early discipleship groups. This is actually a party, so we had to guess this day. So this was like a lot of people for us at the beginning. And we did a a, a long discipleship process, a nine-month discipleship process, and just exploring, okay, God, who who are you calling us to be? We didn't want to be the outsiders who came in who were the know-it-alls who knew how to rescue all the poor people in the neighborhood. And so we we took a, a long period of time to learn, to study, to build relationships, to, to just get to know our neighbors and to learn about all of the resources that were already within our neighborhood and what we could do to partner with them. And, and, um, and that was how we began for the first few months. Eventually, it became time to begin formal and official worship services. So we began looking for a particular location. Where should we all gather? What part of the downtown area did God want us to be in? We weren't sure if it was the southeast side or the northeast side or the west side. And, and we explored lots of lots of areas really close to the center of the city. And it was, it was in that time that we said, well, we're not totally sure where God wants us, so let's look for something kind of centrally located and just see how this unfolds. At the time, the Grand Rapids bus station had just been going through, they were building a whole new beautiful bus station, Rapid Central Station. And on the second floor of the bus station, they, have a, an, they had a really nice conference room. You can actually go still see it today. I just popped up there a couple months ago and looked in. And on that second floor conference room, we thought, okay, this is a good gathering space. The bus station is obviously centrally located. Everybody can find the bus station. It's located, it's reaching people who would, who would be the kind of people that we're trying to reach for our church, the people who are, um, who, who are just in, in need in that way. And so we, by faith, signed a one-year lease to rent that room in the bus station. Now, let me tell you, we are a very early church plant. At this point, it is a very motley crew of people. I mean, if you would have, it wasn't like we had, like, I mean, we had like 12 disciples kind of people, you know, like, but like before, before Pentecost, before they get filled with the Holy Spirit. We were just, I mean, we're all kind of like bumbling together, like not super impressive, but like it was the people that God had assembled and the people that God had called. It was who God gave us. It was who we were at the time. And so we, we signed this one-year lease and we're like, you know, I sure hope we can keep our commitment. I hope we can pay this thing every month. And we began our promo, we did our advertising. If you've heard the story of City Life, you've heard that our advertising slogan in that time was, not all roads lead to heaven, but all buses lead to City Life Church. So that was how we did our advertising, because we knew people could get there. So uh, we launched with our public worship service in September 2005, 
and uh, this was our, our big public opening. We had our nursery kind of stashed away in a closet. It was not, if it looks not ideal, it was not ideal. There wasn't even a door on the one end where this picture is being taken. It was just like a baby gate. I think the bigger kids were in a hallway. It was, it was not awesome. Uh, but, you know, we're excited. We're building a church. Uh, there, that's where we are. Uh, then the next picture is a group of some of our very first Mel Trotter residents who came and were part of the church. As we were getting going with, with planting the church, uh, the way that Mel Trotter was structured at the time is once you got to level three in the rehab program, then you were encouraged to find a church of your own choosing. And so people had the opportunity to choose a church. And uh, we were invited to go in. So I talked to the women, Adam talked to the men, and these were a group of people who started to come. Uh, some funny things kind of started happening. They got like super excited. They totally caught the vision. They understood exactly who we were trying to reach. They already had the natural connections of, of uh, who could be reached. These are people who are on fire for Jesus. They're young in their faith. They are young in sobriety. They are excited for life. They are doing well. They just want everybody to know about Jesus. They're on fire. They ran the sound. They were the hospitality. Um, Adam and Don Figueroa would go and gather people under the bridge and bring them in, which, by the way, is something we can still do today. That is something we can still do here at City Life. But uh, we had some fun things that happened during that time. Uh, Adam began to get calls pretty consistently from the Mel Trotter administration because there were people who were sneaking out of their level two program to come to church at City Life when they weren't supposed to. So they kept, and he's like, what am I going to say? They're coming to church. I mean, like, how much trouble do you want them to get in? Uh, that was the time that the Alexa family was uh, part of that. Ryan Ellenbaum, before he married Angela, were part of that. And uh, they all uh, still have a little bit of PTSD from all the setup and teardown and all the work that went into that every week. And it was while we were here at the bus station that the Lord committed and solidified to us our commitment to the, the near southeast side of downtown. It was where our commitment to Mel Trotter was solidified and we became very established there. It's where our commitment to the recovery community was solidified. And so we spent a year at the bus station. Eventually we needed a little bit more space and as we were poking around and figuring out some places, Adam was taking the lead on finding a location. And I said, whatever we do, let's just please not do a storefront because, you know, they've it's so typical. It's like typical inner city church. Like, let's not be that kind of church. And there are windows. Windows are going to get broken. And anyway, Adam comes home one day. He'd, he'd been finding lots of different options. He comes home one day, and he's like, I think I found it. And he said, it's still being worked on. It's still, they're, they're demoing an old building, and they're redoing it. And um, here's a picture of the basement. And I, all I can say is Adam had a lot of vision. <laughs> Like a lot, a lot more than I did. And he said, and it is a storefront. But anyway, the renovation went through. It turned out okay. We ended up with this particular building. We were on, uh, this picture's a little bit later, actually. We were just on one side of it at first. And we were there for a year. It ended up being a great place for us. And after that year, we were running out of room, and uh, it turned out that the storefront next door became open, so we knocked out a wall in between the two spaces, and then we, we doubled in size. And when I say doubled, we went from like 1,500 square feet to 3,000 square feet. So it's like not a huge area. And, um, and you can see, go ahead and pull up those next pictures. That second side then is under construction. So that was a really exciting thing as we're, like we're growing, like we're growing out of this little teeny spot to a little bit of a slightly bigger teeny spot. Uh, but uh, continued to grow and ended up doing two services in that place. And we ended up being in that building for about six years. 
But all of that, all of that, while it was exciting and while the church was growing and while we were all learning so much all the time, it was not all up and up, everything's awesome, yay, church planting, everything's going great. The reality is more church planting. This is really challenging. We had a lot of challenges. In the first four years, five years of our ministry, we experienced challenges like it was our friends who would relapse to drugs and alcohol. It wasn't just, you know, hearing about people or having the, the, rant, the, the one person that you kind of know about. It's like we had a lot of friends, a lot of friends who would relapse and we'd walk that journey with them. Some would relapse and come back, relapse and come back. I always said we were a boomerang church because people come back and I want that to happen. I want that to happen. I want to be the place that people come back to. And sometimes they would relapse and we'd never see them again. We had a lot of funerals. We, have a lot of, we had a lot of funerals because the reality is that people die more easily here. People die more easily here. There is more exposure to the elements. There are uh, health concerns that don't get addressed in time. The first funeral that Adam and I ever did together was the funeral for an infant. We, had a few, we, we did a few of those infant funerals. We had a funeral for a sex worker, a very, one we knew personally. This isn't just like an idea. This is somebody that we knew and had a relationship with. We've had multiple funerals for people who have died from drug overdoses. Uh, Adam was, was uh, privileged to be part of a, a group funeral that was held at Maltrotter a few years ago where it was a handful of people who had all died without family members being able to care for them and, and it was just a way to give dignity and to offer, offer dignity in that way. We had those pains. We also had spiritual challenges, a lot of spiritual warfare. I can specifically remember specific things that we were praying for that I know the devil was working in and through. We also were a young church. We, we didn't have lots of people in the church that had a lot of spiritual maturity. We had a small handful, but it's not like we had a lot of people who've been, I've been a Christian my whole life and with generations of Christians. We did not have that. We were a young and a, a very young, spiritually, spiritually young church. We, we also had a break-in of our sanctuary. There was one Sunday, uh, I think maybe a couple days after Christmas. We had all been doing Christmases maybe on a Thursday or Friday and came to church on Sunday morning. We showed up, and sure enough, those windows, those front windows in that storefront had been broken into, just like I had said that it would happen. And somebody came in, and they stole a TV off the wall, and they stole our keyboard. So the TV we could deal with, but the keyboard, here we are trying to have a church service, and that was like the only instrument we had at the time. So uh, I, called, I called Rachel Alexa, and I'm like, hey, don't you have a keyboard at home? She's like, yeah, it's a little toy baby keyboard about this big. And you know what? That's what we used for worship that day, because that's what we had. And then we prayed in the service for our enemies, which is still a pretty poignant uh, memory for me. And finances were tight, too. It was a tricky, tricky season. They, they say with church plants, usually by year three, that's kind of when you should be prepared to hit bottom financially. We had some, some incredible help to help us through, but it was, still, it was still tricky. And with the help of our God, with the help of our God, we made it to 2010, in which we celebrated our fifth birthday. This is a picture of our whole church. This is a whole church picture. Uh, this was all the people in the church at that time. And uh, I remember thinking, we did a huge celebration that night. We invited some of our partner churches to come, and we did a, an outdoor tent celebration outside across the street. It was this super fun celebration, and I remember thinking, after going through such a hard 
a, a couple years, I remember thinking, we just might make it. We just might make it. In 2011, we began to pray about a new location. The storefront was okay, but we could only have two life groups at a time, and we needed to have more than that. Our kids' space was not ideal, and we just needed a little bit more room. And so we, by this time, we knew we were committed to Division Avenue. We knew that God had us in this community, and we knew that even if we moved half a mile, it would affect who would come to the church because so many people walk from the missions or take the bus. And so uh, we, we were committed to this area and just really felt that God was calling us here. We began to pray. We had a couple church meetings with, with our core people, and we said, hey, what do you think? Like, this is, we've got to figure something out here. And I, I remember one person saying, I don't even really like big churches. I'd really rather have a small church, but clearly God is moving here, and we have to do something that is going to require faith. We began to work with a commercial realtor, and we said to him, uh, so we began looking around uh, at places, and I, I didn't actually mention this story. I need to tell this part of the story. So when we were lo first looking for our first storefront, we, uh, we had looked at this building, actually. Because up on the second floor, there was a big open space, and they were renting that space to, they had different organizations renting places in here. And we had come here and looked up on the second floor and said, hey, we're really interested in that space. Could we rent that for our church? And the owner of the building said at the time, actually, no, I'm not interested in renting to a church because you're a church plant and your finances aren't guaranteed and I just don't know that you're actually going to make it. And we're like, okay, we're, it was a little insulting, but, you know, it's fine, whatever. That wasn't where God wanted us. So we just moved on and that's when we got the storefront. Well, several years later now, we start working with a commercial realtor and we said, you know, that, that red brick building down the street, it's been empty now for a, a couple years. We don't know anything that's going on with it, but kind of just interested in it. Like, could he just find out some info? He comes back to us and he says, you're never going to believe this, but the former owner, the guy who had refused us, had, had, was liquidating his properties because he wasn't doing well financially. And he said the building isn't publicly listed for sale yet. And he said there's about a two to three week window here before this building gets put on the market. And it's, it's currently being sold for, it's going to be listed for about $350,000. And if you're interested, you should move now. Well, that was crazy. It was crazy for a couple of reasons. Crazy because it was actually available, which kind of blew our minds that the timing was lining up that way. But also, we're thinking $350,000 is an awful lot. It's not a lot of money now for a property here, but then, and for who we were as a church, it was a huge amount of money. It was, it was, it was a, a lot more, multiple, many times more than our annual church budget. We only had a small church of maybe about 100 people or so. So we're like, what, what should we do? What should we do? Adam had been developing a relationship with Jonathan Bradford, who was the CEO of ICCF. Many of you might know that organization here in Grand Rapids. They do great housing work. And Jonathan knew everything about the city. He was one of the people who helped to do the planning for the Silver Line bus line. He knew lots about city development. And so uh, Adam called him and said, hey, can you get what, can, what wisdom can you give me? And he said, Adam, I know about this development that's going to go here. I know this development that's going to go there. And I, I know all these things that are, going to, that are going to be happening in the next few years on Division Avenue in this part of it. And he said, if you don't move now, you'll never be able to afford this building in the future. So he said, okay, price isn't going to go down. Maybe we should think about this. 
So we did some investigating, got, got some things figured out. We knew it was going to be 350000 to purchase the building, and then an additional 370000 uh, $370, more to pay for renovating the space to make it appropriate for a large group, because in order to have an assembly space, you have to do certain things to make it safe for a large group of people, and taxes and renovations and fees and things like that. So the whole total project was going to come to $720,000. That's almost a quarter of a million dollars. Thank you. It's almost three quarters of a million dollars. <laughs> this is why they have me preach and not do the books. Um, three quarters, three quarters of a million dollars. Did I tell you that we are a small church without a lot of money and we're mostly made up of poor people? I don't think, at this point, Adam and I weren't even receiving a, a full salary from the church yet. I mean, like, that's where we were with, with money. And so it was this tremendous faith moment. And yet we just felt it. We just felt like God was opening this door. I, we would, we, I, I would drive by this church every day, I would pray. We came and we laid hands on this building. We said, God, if you want us to have this building, make a way. And I, I just knew, we just knew God was doing this. We knew that God was opening those doors. But we also knew we had to figure out the reality of like how does this actually work. So uh, we reached out to our outside supporters. We met with City Life who said, here's the scoop. We met with outside supporters. We had a few of those in, in the early days especially. And said, here's the situation. If you're inclined to give, this is what we're trying to figure out. And then this crazy thing happened. One of our supporters, who we really did not know well at all, still don't know that well, said, you know, I really like what you've been doing here the last few years in downtown Grand Rapids. I, I like it that you care for the poor. I like it that this, this church seems to be doing well and that you seem to be, be moving. And, and she said, uh, I, I'd like to make a gift. And she said, I'd like to give a gift of $250,000. So then the bank believed that we were a legit group to borrow money from, to loan money to. It was just this incredible moment. Like, how does that even happen to a church like us? We don't even have those kinds of numbers. We don't understand that sort of thing. And so um, that became the, the down payment that we made on the building, and that began to open doors. That showed the bank that we were going to be reliable. That showed the district and the denomination, okay, we can trust that things are going to be okay here. And with the help of our God, with the help of our God, we bought this building. We, we bought it in the fall, we moved in. The following fall, we spent about a year in renovations, and during that time, we launched our first capital campaign that Sharon was talking about called Kingdom First. And it was huge, huge, huge steps of faith for our little church to take on this big project. Uh, a few pictures that I can show you here. Uh, we, go, go ahead back to that one with the, the very cute little children in the front, our mine. <laughs> that was the stage of life that we were in. And it was so exciting when we got to hang that sign, that temporary sign on the building saying, all right, we're coming. Uh, this, this was our life, and my kids spent every Saturday that year here at their, for the whole summer with their Legos playing at church while we did work days all summer. We had prayer walks. We did, um, one of the, the very first thing we did at this building was a prayer walk. We also, go ahead into the next one. Uh, and then we started renovations. So this is a picture of the sanctuary, right where we are today. If you see that open door, that is the, the entrance from the parking lot. 
And then the cutout window just to the left of the door is actually where the gathering room is today, if that gives you your bearings. And that's what it looks like. Well, look, when I look at this picture, I feel cold because it was in January and there was no heat. So we did a lot of work with winter coats on. Uh, then we, this, a few more pictures of the sanctuary and then uh, a final one of the stage under construction. Just kind of gives you a picture of some of the crazy stuff that was happening. This was all so much bigger than what we needed at the time, even what we could hardly imagine. We had another fun thing. We, Landscaping-wise, a landscaping company said, hey, we want to help you. We, we had to create a certain amount of green space. It was like city regulations that we had to do, which, by the way, is going to also be part of our new parking lot project. We have some green requirements we'll have to do again. Uh, but a landscaping company came in. They said, we want to donate the landscaping. We've got the plan. You bring us volunteers. And so in one day, less than 24 hours, they, they dug up that part of the concrete, and it looked like that at the beginning, and then it looked like this at the end. One day. It was super fun. Super fun day. And uh, just crazy, crazy, crazy blessings of God through his church, through people. And with the help of our God, with the help of our God, we then had this grand opening in September of 2012. We progressed. We grew. We, we struggled. We learned. Got to 2019. And we hit a very challenging time in the church in almost every way. It was very challenging financially. Uh, tithes and offerings are typically lower in the summers, and especially that summer they were. And it was also a very challenging time just in ministry in general. We had the most significant financial crisis that we had, really, in, in the whole history of the church. A lot of it was due to we, we missed some things with immigrant connection, and Immigrant Connection ran into some serious financial problems, and so then the, the whole church budget had to, had to bail it out, and it caused us to be in a very precarious situation financially overall. Adam was contacting Riley Combs. Riley, uh, you'll hear about him in just a moment, was one of our, he, he was our bookkeeper for many, many years at City Life, and still does, some, does work for us today. But he and, he and Adam would talk every couple days, saying, okay, where are we? What's going on? Uh, there's a spending freeze on everything. It was very stressful. And it was also just discouraging. It was so hard. And we had a few months of this, of it just being very intense. And I received a random email from someone I didn't know. Opened up my email, got an email from a man by the name of, of Craig Dunn. I knew the name. Uh, he, he, I knew he worked for Wesleyan headquarters and the Wesley Investment Foundation. He's a denominational leader and handled some of the financial stuff. And, and he asked, he's, it was just a random email. He said, hey, I'm just curious to know more about City Life. I'd love to hear more about it. No pressure, no rush, but sometime when you are in Indiana, he said, I know you come here for meetings pretty regularly. He's like, sometime when you're in Indiana, let me know, and I'd love to just, let's go out for coffee. I'd love to just hear more about the church. Well, I didn't think a whole lot about it because we had that a lot. As, a, as an urban church plant, people were always saying, tell us your story. Like, who is City Life? What are you doing? And, and so I, I didn't think a whole lot about it. But um, when I got there, he asked questions. He said, tell me about the church. Tell me about who you are, where, where you guys have been, and what's going on with the church. And we got through about an hour meeting, and he said, well, I wanted to hear this because God directed me to ask you for this meeting. He said, I don't know why. I don't know anything about other than what you've told me about the church. But he said, God directed me to ask for this meeting, and I am supposed to give this gift to you. And he handed me an envelope, 
And he said, he said, I just have one request. He said, I'd like you to spend 50% of it toward the mortgage of your building, and I'd like you to spend 50% of it toward just whatever ministry needs you have in the church, however you, however you feel fit, you think is fit. So I said, thank you. Uh, we said goodbye. I went out to my car, and I tore open the envelope, and I looked inside and found a check for $100,000, people. And in that moment, I was just like, God, you told somebody who doesn't even know us that something was needed and that the encouragement was needed? Like, this doesn't just help us. It helped us. It, it brought us out of, our, out of the crisis. That was all we needed to get us through. I mean, not all. I mean, that was a big deal. But it was what we needed to get us through. But more than that, it was God saying, I see you. I have a plan for you. We're not done yet. That 50000 that went toward our mortgage is one of the reasons why today we are celebrating the completion of our mortgage and not doing this a few months from now with the help of our God. Since then, City Life has established a better emergency fund. We have controls in place for Immigrant Connection, and Immigrant Connection is doing very well financially, and we continue to operate on a tight ministry budget. So our board, uh, one of our board members was there back in the day, and he's like, we are never having that again. He said, we're never letting that happen again. And um, uh, God helped us with the help of our Lord. So here we are today. Uh, we're we're going to burn this mortgage. We're going to take a few minutes and celebrate the completion of this debt because with the help of our God, three weeks ago, we paid off the final installment on this building. The total amount, you can, yeah, you're going to cheer in just a second. The total amount, we had this $720 project that was way beyond what we could do, way beyond what we could do. But God showed up and God said, Money's not hard for me. And God made a way. And I find it amazing that City Lifers 12 years ago laid a foundation for us today because they sensed the Holy Spirit was moving and they were listening and being obedient to the Holy Spirit even though it looked like the project was humanly impossible. They were listening, and God led, and look what God has done. It's incredible. Who knows, church, what decisions we will make today that 12 years from now, we have no idea where these faith decisions, what they're going to lead to, who will have come to Christ because of the decisions we're making, how people will grow in their faith because of the sacrifices and, the, and the, are listening to God. It's, we have no idea how God is moving, but I am so thankful that people in the past listened and were faithful, and my prayer is that those of us in the future going forward will do the same for the next generation too. Amen. God is so good. Faithful in the past, faithful looking ahead. We have been talking about Nehemiah building a wall and we talked last week about how the, the city of Jerusalem was broken down from war. The walls were completely broken down and anytime in an ancient city when the walls are broken down, the city is unprotected, people are vulnerable, there is not a way to stay safe. But we all know that the story of Nehemiah is not ultimately just about a building project. Building projects are never just about building projects. And our capital campaign that we are in right now, that we kicked off two weeks ago, is not just about a building project. It's about people. It's about these things being tools for ministry, tools that help us to participate in God's mission. 
when we, were, when we got a building, it, people say, well, why do you have to have a building? Why did you spend money on a building? All I can say is if you were here during COVID and we did outdoor services all of the time, it was cold. <laughs> and sometimes it rained. And sometimes it snowed. And it's just nice to have walls and a roof. It is also nice to be able to offer a place of dignity and a place of safety for, our, neighbor, for our, our neighbors who are coming from more difficult situations. It is also, uh, we also use it for good in that we have, in the last year we had over a thousand immigrants and refugees from over 50 countries come for services here at City Life. Coming into this space, they need to have a, a quiet and secure space for that. We have community gatherings. We have UPREP Academy host their eighth grade graduations here every year. We just hosted the Hustle Per Eat Urban Ministry Conference last weekend. We've had at least four churches use our building besides us over the last couple years. We have, we have, during COVID, we had the men's program come and move in and live in our sanctuary for a few months. We're using our building as a tool for God's ministry. Two weeks ago, we launched our Kingdom Foundations campaign. And we said there are three things we are working on. Number one, we need to do a project for the church. We need to address our problematic parking lot, which is complicated and expensive because of different dynamics we have going on. The second one is we're focusing on our neighborhood ministries and our investment in this community, knowing that God has placed us here. We are confident God has placed us here on Division Avenue, just south of Wealthy Street, for a reason. He has uniquely put us here to do work with serving our neighborhood, and we, we sense that God has more for us than what we're already doing and that we need to level up in that area. And the third area is, is a project for the world. So a project for the church, a project for the neighborhood, and a project for the world. And this is, the, this is investing in the, the baby church in Mongolia, where we are laying claim to a piece of land in Mongolia so that the new church can become established and can spread. So just like outsiders invested in city life and financially made it possible for us to have a place together, now we get to do that for the church in Mongolia and we get to be the ones who are giving. And so today, celebrate that, that's beautiful. So today, Today is our Commitment Sunday. For those of you who are guests with us or who haven't been around the last three weeks, you won't know what's going on, and that's okay. We just want you to enjoy what's going on. No pressure for, for you at all. But the, for those who've been, who call City Life home and who have been here, we launched this campaign and have invited you to, to do this thing, to prayerfully ask God how, you, how he might want you to be involved. And we really challenged you Pray about it. Pray about it yourself. If you're married, pray about it with your spouse and ask God for how he, wants you, how he might want you to be involved in that. We are not putting pressure on people. The thing we want is for you to listen to the Lord and for you to be obedient. It's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. Nobody's making judgments about what you do or don't give. We just want you to talk to the Lord about it and to consider how he might be challenging you. And we'll be receiving those commitment cards in our regular offering at the end of the service today. This brings me to just a very brief passage in Nehemiah. Last week, we talked about Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, when Nehemiah goes to the remnant of Jews in broken-down Jerusalem, and he says, Then I said to them, Nehemiah 2, verse 17, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. 
So they began this good work. And this begins their building project. They begin the walls. They, they restore the walls. They rebuild the walls. They begin this work. The, past, the book of Nehemiah continues. We'll dig into some of the middle of the story in the next couple weeks. But today I want to jump to the end because it's Celebration Sunday and I want to jump to the end of the celebration. Uh, they have a series of complications. They have a lot of things that go wrong. They have a lot of threats and, and challenges along the way. But in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, it brings us to the end of the wall com- being completed. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. That's about two months. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. It was so clear that God was moving that even their opponents, even the people who were against them, said, oh, I think their God is helping them with this one. That's pretty incredible. With the help of our God. I want to look at each of those words real quick. With help our God. So say the word with. The whole story of Humanity Church, the whole story is about either God with us or God wanting to be with us. When God created man and woman and Adam and Eve in the garden, when he first created them, what was, what was it that they had together? They had perfect communion, perfect connection with God. And it wasn't until the fall came that that interruption with God happened. God's original intent for humanity was that they would be in relationship together, that he would be with us in perfect unity, in perfect accord. And it is that withness that is interrupted with the coming of the fall. So then God begins his great rescue plan, as we have depicted in the art that goes through our church from, from Abraham all the way through David to Revelation. We have this God's great rescue plan in which God is establishing being with his people again. So we have God in the pillar of, of cloud by day, and we have God being with the Israelites in the pillar of fire by night, traveling with them as they exited out of Egypt into the promised land. And then do you remember, we talked about this uh, a few months ago, the the tabernacle is made and is put into the the middle of the camp. And the Shekinah glory of God comes down from heaven into the tabernacle because God, God wants to be with his people. It is what God wants. Then we have, jumping into the New Testament, I'm skipping lots of stories in between, but we have the incarnate Jesus who comes as God in flesh. And do you remember his Christmas name that we celebrate? Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what Christmas is all about, is God came to be with us. And then we get to Acts and we get the giving of the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit is given to all believers. So now it's not just sometimes that we have the presence of God in the Shekinah glory or sometimes that we have the presence of God in the human uh, manifestation of Jesus. It is all the time we can have the presence of God through the Holy Spirit given to us, dwelling in us. We have a God who has gone to great lengths to be with us. And so when we talk about things have been done with the help of our God, you have a God who is very interested in you, and he is very interested in his mission in the world, and he wants you to be part of his mission so that they come together and that together with God, with the help of our God, we're doing what he wants to have done. With the help of our God, number one, you should know your flourishing will only ultimately happen with God. You cannot flourish in life without him. 
I haven't talked yet about the most important part of the Kingdom Foundations campaign. I told you about the three projects. But if you were here a couple weeks ago, and if, if you weren't here August 15, I encourage you to listen to that sermon. I don't usually tell you to listen to old sermons. Usually I'm like, let's let bygones be bygones. But, um, but October 15, we did a layout of this, of this Kingdom Foundations campaign. And if you missed it, I'd really love for you to listen to it because we'll be re- referring to this uh, for the next two years. But the most exciting thing for me in this campaign is not just a new parking lot. I mean, that would be nice, but it's not something to like, you know, it's a parking lot. It's not neighborhood ministries, although I'm very excited about neighborhood ministries. And it's not just Mongolia, even though that's a great thing. I am convinced that the the major thing God wants to do in city life through this campaign is lead us to a place of greater financial freedom, greater yieldedness to God, greater surrender in the area of money like we have never experienced before. I am fully aware of who makes up our church. We have people at all financial levels. I fully recognize the awkwardness of talking about money in general in church, and especially talking about money in a church like City Life. But I think all the more reason, God wants to do something big. I think God wants to take us to new places, to different places, and he wants to uncover bondage in us that we didn't even know we had. I think he wants to unleash generosity we didn't even think we could do. And I think he wants to open up doors practically than what we've ever even thought about. At the Hustle Per Eat conference yesterday, I ran into uh, one of the people that I met. He said, yeah, I work up at Link Up down on Hall Street, and I do networking. I, I, I work with financial planners who specifically work with people in our neighborhood with our level of, of financial needs that we have. And I'm like, well, that's a God connection. I think I'll call you next week. But to have somebody who can teach budgeting and financial wisdom who specifically understands the unique needs and demands of an, a core urban congregation, it's different than what's needed in other kinds of areas. I am convinced God is doing something bigger here than what we even can see right now. With, next word say help. With the help, with the help. God is our helper. You know that, I know that, we've heard this. The Hebrew word for helper is azer, azer, and it means strong helper. It's not just an assistant. It's not just somebody who's, you know, this like little sidekick who's with you. It's this picture of a strong helper. It's the same word that is used for, uh, used for military troops who come to your aid. God is our helper. With the help of our God, we can receive his help. Psalm 46, verse 1. Will you read this passage with me? God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. We are talking a lot about giving in this financial series, but I want you to know if ever you are going to truly give in the way that God is going to, God wants to call and equip you to give, you have to learn to receive. You have to be able to receive what God has for you. We'll talk about more about that in a couple weeks, but number two is your flourishing will only ultimately happen as you receive God's help. With the help of our God. Say the word our. We share a God. We are here today because we share belief 
in God. We believe in the one true God. We claim this God. He is our God. We worship this God. There are other gods out there. There are other powers out there. There are powers that are associated with money that are out there. And we worship this God. Point number three is your flourishing will only ultimately happen within the community of God's people. Point number four is God. Say God. Point number four is your flourishing will only ultimately happen as you follow this one true God. We don't think that we worship other gods, but we have other gods. We just don't think of them as gods. We have preferences, we have materialism, we have temptations, we have things that we like. We, we, but we claim, as Christians, we claim one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We claim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. That is a very exclusive statement where we are saying that we exclusively believe in this God. And I will tell you without any doubt that your flourishing in general can only ultimately happen as you follow this one true God. You cannot build on any other God. From the beginning of creation, God has been the builder. He's the builder of the humans. He's the builder of the sun, the moon, and the stars. He's the builder of the land and the seas. He's the builder of the people of Israel, from the one man Abraham to the whole nation. He's the builder of his church. He's the builder of this place. God is the builder, God, the God who makes places for his people. He is the God who repairs broken walls. He is the God who restores the ruined places. He is the God who rebuilds the age-old foundations. He is the God who is the foundation himself. He is the God who is the cornerstone, the God who is the keystone of the building of the church. The scripture says the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the foundation. This is Jesus the foundation. This is the God who says that if we build on his firm foundation— the floods will come, the waters will rise, the winds will blow, but the house will remain firm with the help of our God. So today's Commitment Sunday. You've had some weeks to prayerfully think about this. To uh, Last week, uh, um, Will gave a testimony about how he and Anna pray about these sorts of things, and so often God, God gives them the same number. And I heard from another couple this week, we tried that, it didn't work for us, we had different numbers. <laughs> God's going to work differently in different people's lives, that's good. But hopefully you've wrestled with God on this. Hopefully you've talked with God on this, hopefully you've sought God on this, because it really is not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. We have asked you to be spirit-led. We have, we've said, make this, make this between you and the Lord because we believe that God wants to do a bigger work that's deeper, that's on a spiritual level that we can't, we can't prescribe. So seek the Lord, pray about this. God wants to do something big. 
we shared the last couple weeks that the financial need for these projects comes to a total of $138,000. And I'm not going to uh, put this up on the screen just because you have it in your brochures. In fact, ushers, if we could have those, we're supposed to pass them out as you came in, but when you leave today, ushers, if you would please pass those out to people as they exit, that would be helpful. But the financial need comes to $138,000. This includes $8,000 for Mongolia, $10,000 for Neighborhood Ministries, and then the $120,000 for the parking lot. And we, we talked about the complexities of the parking lot and why this mattered and communicated that the $120,000 is kind of the starting point. We, we anticipate it being a more expensive project than that. Uh, that's what has been quoted so far, so that's what we've been building our numbers on. But the plan has been that if, we, if the expenses exceed that, which we, we kind of anticipate they probably will, that we'll take a short-term loan after that and, and manage it that way. We also shared with you that so far, toward this $138,000, we have $58,000 that has been saved up by the wise stewardship of our board and finance committee, and we have that to work with, which is beautiful. We also have received a $10,000 grant to help our parking lot, and so that leaves our campaign goal as $80,000, meaning that anything that if anything were to come in above and beyond $80,000 would mean that we could possibly do the entire parking lot project without needing to take the additional loan. We have been processing this at a leadership level for several months, and I've been telling the leaders, uh, both the local board of administration, our pastors, our staff, and our um, cap uh, Kingdom Foundation's Capital Campaign Committee, you are the leaders. And so as leaders, leaders go first. Leaders lead the way. You need to have buy-in because if you don't have buy-in, then how are we going to expect the rest of the people in the church to have buy-in if the leaders don't? And I tell you what, they have buy-in. And, uh, and so my, my request to them was, I would like for you to have your, your commitments in early so that we can communicate to the church what the leadership investment is because you need to know that your leaders are, are part of this as well. And so uh, all I can say is what has happened in the last few days has just made me, if I ever thought I was in charge of this church, I, I know I'm really not now, uh, because what has happened as those leadership commitments have come in is I have found myself in a position of simply being speechless and flabbergasted and committed to believing that God is doing something bigger than what we have imagined. The leaders, uh, it's, it's about 20 different families. Families are individual people. The leaders have, have committed by faith over the next two years to give a total of about $65,000 toward the 80 that we had left. Can you just, you, you might need a minute to collect yourself as well. I uh, have just found myself processing that and saying, God, you're clearly moving here. Because what we didn't do is we didn't ask people to give a certain amount. We said, you pray about this. Uh, I specifically said in my, in my leader emails last week, nobody's evaluating you on what you are or are not giving or on what your amount is, but it's about you listening to God. What this means for us is it makes it easier to reach our $80,000 goal, and if we do exceed that, it gives us the opportunity to lean into the expenses we anticipate with the parking lot and uh, possibly to not even take a loan for the remainder of the project. 
It also may mean uh, possible expansions in our gift to Mongolia, which they could use, and potentially neighborhood ministries as well. So God is doing something big. God has clearly been leading us in this. You are commissioned to pray. You are commissioned to seek God. And as I process this with the leaders, the things that came up were, God knows what he's doing. We may think this is where we're going, but God sees something further. God has a bigger plan for this than what we do, and this is all tied to work that God wants to do in us to take us to new places financially in our own personal lives. I'm totally convinced of that. I've already talked to you today about, uh, three, three observations just about this as I process this. I've already talked to you today about how cool it is that where we have been in the position of receiving from outside help, we're 18 now. We're growing up. And how cool is it that we get to be the ones to give to others in this way? The second thing that has stuck out to me is I have had multiple, I've had a few conversations with people who come to me and, and have said, has said, I am just taking seriously this idea of not equal giving but equal sacrifice, and I recognize that I have more than some other people in this church. And because of that, for me, equal sacrifice looks like more. And, and I just, I take ownership for, the, for my brothers and sisters who might not have as much to give, and, 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 and I, I want to give in that way. And then the third thing that I don't really know how to explain, and that it sounds a little bit like preacher mumbo-jumbo, but it's just a real thing I'm trying to put words to, is the joy that I just keep hearing from people as they share about their commitments with me. I've, I've not asked people to tell me their commitments, but a few people have just been excited about it. And, and they say, and I can see the joy on their faces. I can see that they are so excited to give. And I don't understand it, but um, Adam and I, even in our own prayers about this, and as we process together, we feel the same thing. I don't know why. But I feel this sense of joy like, I know God directed us to that amount, and I'm so excited to give it. I don't understand where that's coming from. But I keep seeing it and hearing it in other people. I heard a family say our, our family prayed about this together, and we're excited about this. All, all the kids are excited about this. I don't know how to explain that joy, but I know it's a real thing, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is moving through that in some way. Uh, we'll, we'll come on up. We are trusting... We are trusting that God is going to do something big. Our, our discipleship in the next couple years is going to look different because of our commitment to this campaign. I think your personal lives will change because of this campaign. I believe the kingdom is going to be affected because of your faithfulness, your courage, and your listening and obedience to the Lord. I hope that if... I, I hope that everyone can participate and experience the joy of having this sense of God leading you in this way. I don't want you to miss out on the goodness that I think you can have. And so, ushers, I invite you to come forward, and in just a few moments, we'll receive the regular tithes and offerings of the day. I would just continue to explain the difference between tithes and offerings. And ushers, just come to the front and hold out for a minute. But tithes are... What we are the regular uh, ties that we make to the church is just that just regularly keeps church functioning. It's what keeps the heat on and the lights on and the regular ministries going. Uh, it keeps our children's ministry functioning and that sort of thing. And offerings are above and beyond 
the regular tithe. They're the special things that we do. And this is an offering. And so I would encourage you to don't, don't stop or don't replace your tithing with the Kingdom Foundations campaign. The tithing is the first act of financial discipleship. So I'd encourage you just to keep that in mind. And as the ushers come through in just a moment, we'll receive the regular tithes. And then go ahead and put your commitment card, drop your commitment card in that. We'll gather those. We'll take one more week next week to catch anybody else who might still want to participate. But let's take a few moments and celebrate this. Ushers, please go ahead and receive the tithes, the offerings, and the commitments. Because we are giving today and we are acting in faith with the help of our God. With the help of our God. Worship team, come and lead us as we celebrate these, this faith-filled living with the help of our God. Amen. <laughs>